0: hi everybody welcome to read watch play i'm james i'm corinne i'm justin and i'm cleo and on this episode we're gonna be kicking off our psychological horror series by talking about stephen king's the shining uh the book not the film very no. important yeah yeah something we explicitly wanted to clarify we're probably going to be touching on the film like a teeny tiny bit as a part of this certainly no spoilers or anything like that uh, but there's a chance that we're going to be bringing it up in our topic episode. So if anyone's curious uh, and specifically looking for book film comparisons, you might want to come back for that one. This is going to be exclusively the novel. Yep.
1: I do have one thing I want to say about movie book comparison just like real quick and then I'll get it out of my system and I won't bring it back up again until topic. And that's just that <laughs> Stephen King is not a fan of the movie. He hates because it. it. Yeah, he he thinks it like, really missed the point of the book. And so I was very interested to read the book. Because I've seen the movie a million, gajillion times. I hadn't read it until we read it for this. Um, and I can definitely understand where he's coming from now. And that's all I will say. That's all I will say.
2: I
0: had heard that as well. And that he was then like involved with the TV miniseries that, by and large, is considered to be just kind of okay at best. Yeah, I think it's,
2: I think it's a better adaptation of the book. But it's not very good. Good as a th- and part of it is film. that you're comparing a TV miniseries that's okay to a Kubrick film, right? Right. So like, it loses points. He's had a lot of issues with that in the past, hasn't he? Right. Where there's like almost there were... none of no, nothing of his that has been adapted has gone well.
0: Yeah, and the things
2: that have tend to be the things that he really doesn't like. Yeah, because they have to take. It's either his things don't adapt well, or the only times that somebody who can create a good adaptation also wants to take enough artistic liberty with it that he doesn't like the end result. Yeah. Which, Which I, I think... can understand from the author's perspective.
0: Yeah. I always think that's really interesting, right? Because I feel like a lot of the times the really good stuff with that is the stuff where it to make it into a good whatever your other thing is going to be, you need to take a certain amount of like yeah. artistic liberty. And I could totally see that being like a really difficult thing i wonder how many adaptations there have been from medium a to medium b where the original creator watches the different version and really likes it like genuinely really i know that i'm sure everyone you find a million interviews where it's always like oh yes i love the film that they made like particularly when they're not involved right where they didn't like write the script or something like that and and again not talking about like pr answers but genuine things where were the kind of the the person behind the original thing is, like, really, really into that other version.
3: Somewhere in history, there is somebody who, like, has lamented and hated the fact that the Iliad was ever written down. Yeah. As opposed to just being passed along as an oral, oral tradition. tradition. for its so entire existence. Yeah. I'm going to have to go out and say that things being interpreted in different mediums, I don't think the people who are fans of it in a certain medium are ever going to be happy.
2: Yeah. It's I just mean, not going to happen as as a as a whole, at least probably. Yeah. Like, I I mean, I think going to another Kubrick film is uh, Clockwork Orange. Sure. I think Clockwork Orange is one of the greatest book to film adaptations I've ever seen in terms of being as true to the source material as is humanly possible. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what, if anything, the author whose name is escaping me right now, Anthony had Burgess, to say. A, yeah, Anthony Burgess. I don't know what he had to say about the film. Yeah. I was really but cool. knowing what I know about Burgess, he probably hated it. Think he liked it. I, I don't can't think remember. I don't know. Differing opinions. Uh anyway, this is all wildly off topic. Yeah, yeah. it really and is. We just started the episode, so this is this is going well. Yeah. So, I mean, do we want to start with
0: kind of the the very basic question by and large? And we we've we've talked a little bit about the fact that like, oh, should you try this yes or no? It's like everyone should probably try most things. But yeah. Like I and have large a point to
3: make. I have a point to make about that. Yeah. Uh so I think we were talking about this a little earlier. Uh, who read the audiobook? It was me. listened to the audiobook. How do you read an audio uh, sorry. Book? Who listened to the audio book?
0: I'm sorry. Were we not just reading the description of the audiobook? <laughs>
3: okay. <Shit. laughs>
0: I thought this was strangely paced. I think of Stephen King stuff as generally being longer. This was like 100. One paragraph. 150 words. Yeah. This was, uh, <laughs> All right. No, no, I, I listened to the audio
3: Smart asses.
0: <laughs> yes. I also listened to the
2: audiobook. James, Cleo,
3: and Corinne listened to the audiobook book. And Justin I, I read the book. Read the book. <laughs>
2: I All right, more or less.
3: Here's a interesting point I am going to make. If you have suffered trauma in the past, or have problems with uh, an alcohol, like alcoholism in your family, or anything like that, this is me telling you that that audiobook needs a trigger warning for uh, emotional or physical abuse, or alcoholism in your past, because. It's a rough experience uh, if you have any sort of familiarity with any of those things.
2: Yeah. So but you're saying the audiobook needs a trigger warning, meaning the book does not.
3: I don't know because I didn't physically read the book, but right, I. Think but you did the, listen to
2: the text of the book, and that's why I'm asking. I is it something about the delivery of the text?
3: Yes, the okay. delivery of the text is very off-putting, especially. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. I have no experience with physical abuse. But I can definitely see how somebody who would would have a serious problem with the way the audiobook is delivered. It is very well acted. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that is very well acted. Like it's but because think, of how well acted it yeah, is that you imagine yeah.
2: somebody could read it and not have as much problem with hearing it. And the like the um.
3: I think it might be easier to distance yourself from what's happening from like what the actual content is if you are reading the book yourself
2: versus the visceral the more visceral act mm-hmm. of reading yeah the, yeah the visceral is the word i was looking for
3: um, so that being said the content might still be uh, a bit too sensitive for some people if you have that kind of history so i uh, just want to put that out there like read the book don't listen to the audiobook if you think you, it might be a problem and don't touch this at all if you think it might be a problem, because it's it's rough. It's pretty rough.
0: I think that's doubly interesting, because my takeaway from the audiobook was actually kind of different, which is not to say I can speak anything to whether or not it would be disturbing for a person, but that I remember not being as impressed by the delivery. But I could still see how it would, it could potentially get to someone, um, particularly because I think the, the scenes in which it does get really disturbing, even as someone who's not doesn't have a history with that kind of stuff and it does become the most effective are those scenes um but i would almost go so far as to maybe not totally recommend the audiobook to anyone really mm. um i i don't know i i think that those moments of being like really visceral and off-putting and i could again i could totally see doubly so to someone with a history of this i think are made even more visceral by the fact that the i think the default narration is just not good uh, I don't know. This this is a much more subjective thing, but just I I thought it was really interesting that you specifically pointed out it as well acted because I remember it took until like maybe two thirds of the way in before I could get over listening to the more mundane parts of the book and not be thinking to myself just like oh my god this is just monotone delivery of text like not in a this is it it felt like very dry narration
1: I think, um I, go ahead oh I was just gonna say I think like that might actually be one of the things that make the scenes that regard you know the talk about abuse a little bit more off-putting because you know there'll be like a fairly kind of normal-ish section that will segue into one of the more like graphic descriptions of something that's happening and like the dialogue and whatnot and those will have a little bit more emphasis kind of put into the lines and the delivery there's a stark
3: of- difference in the delivery between, like, a mundane passage and uh, one of those, like, creeping, uh, intrusive thoughts that, the you know, is occurs in the text mm-hmm. without hitting spoilers. Uh, and the, I love the, how that was written. The difference is incredibly striking when you're listening to it. I don't know how it's written visually, Justin, to your point, uh, but the, the way it is read is incredibly effective.
0: I... I guess I would agree with that. I guess for me, it's I. I don't know that the trade-off ends up being worth it for me. It it the way that it ends up highlighting those moments where things start shifting away from the mundane. Uh, I don't know that that's worth making the mundane that makes up so much of this book uh, so mundane. Uh, yeah, like it beyond mundane. Like I think that's that was the big thing for me. But again, that's purely from an acting standpoint.
3: I um, also wasn't bothered by that. I thought yeah the voice actor did a perfectly good job with everything else and wasn't didn't find him monotone or hard to listen to
0: yeah maybe that's just me then
3: i thought that the i thought he did particularly well on the dialogue parts Mm. um and i guess everything else being as sort of like backdrop or stage directions it kind of fit in my mind Mm. and it was not difficult at all for me to listen to I, i i didn't honestly find myself getting bored at any point interesting I got yeah, uncomfortable I at it. many points, but not bored. Yeah. I actually, I, I raced through this book in three days. Very compelling.
0: Maybe it's just me then. Because um, I know, I, at least as someone who listens to a, a fair amount of audiobooks, and just, and but again, maybe this is also just the things that I tend to listen to as audiobooks versus the things that I prefer to uh, read the physical copies of. Um, I tend to prefer to read things that end up being more thoughtful and listen to things that are more plot-driven and so I found more of the the stronger audiobooks that I've listened to to be ones where it feels like there's someone telling you a story mm. as opposed to something that feels like um a a person transmitting text to your ears um with the acting coming in as it does in this kind of sporadically. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but again, it it sounds like I'm I'm in the minority here, so maybe maybe this was just me, but um It's
3: probably a subjective thing to begin with.
0: Oh, it, it and it certainly is. Um and I would never disagree that those moments that are most likely to be disturbing or hurtful to someone are the ones that are the most striking, even from my perspective as someone who was not getting anything additional from that. I completely agree that those end up being the most effective and, you know, whatever effective means to you. But yeah, that was one of the big things for me that was just like in, in my listening, it I I would I think Justin you put I think you did a good job of summarizing what I was trying to get at where I I, I felt like the mundane parts
2: ended up coming across as too much so but again okay. so audiobook peculiarities aside uh, we can do the the also typical you know did you like this or what did you think of this so I read The Shining for the first time when I was like ten years old um, I I am exactly the kind of child whose parent was just like here you go. Just you, you clearly want to read this thing, go read this thing. And I read a bunch of Stephen King when I was like 10 to 13, 14 or so. Um, But I didn't remember a ton of it. And I'd actually read the sequel more or less cold when I picked it up a few years ago. Uh, So it was really nice to come back to it and to be able to grab, like be able to read this as an adult who could actually understand everything that was really going on in this book. Cause like reading it the first time was more almost reading it from Danny's perspective basically being only 10, right? And Danny was five, but very precocious five. Yeah. Um, it it, fiction five. Yeah. (laughs) But, but reading it as a, like as an adult, like very much changed how I read the book and, and being able to, to look at the kinds of stuff that was being explored in this outside of the typical, like supernaturalness of it all. So like personally still a, a favorite of mine.
3: I've been back and forth on whether I liked it or not. Um, it was definitely like like I said, I devoured this thing in three days, very compelling it was there were just a lot of parts that were hard to get through um and uh how so well, for all the reasons I described previously sorry it,
0: i yeah i I wasn't sure if you meant that or just like parts where it like the, it the was, writing was terrible no no it was no, it, was,
3: read, it yeah. was just very uncomfortable, and I really just wanted like in a in the most. I I just really wanted someone to die in the book. I was just like, just die. just please die, just go away. I want that to be your fate. Please die. I hate you so much. Go away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, there. I I think this is probably a discussion to come back to for, for post spoilers for me. Okay. So,
2: I. But I, you're more or less ambivalent still. You, you can't say one way or the other.
3: It. It was a compelling read and I enjoyed getting through it Er, or I liked listening to it, but it was, it was very hard to get through. Right. Very, very hard. So I I don't know. Ultimately.
0: Yeah. I was also, I would call it good, not great. Um, which I know is weird. I mean, I know it's considered to be like really good by a lot of people. I don't know if some of my stuff was, it feels kind of dated and it's kind of weird coming back to something that was written in the seventies. Yeah, late seventies. Um, Seventy seven. Seventy seven. Yeah. So some things like that where kind of going back to it, some of the structure feels a bit dated. I don't know if it's kind of the case where I and mean, we've dealt with this for a few things where um some of the stuff feels a little bit cliche, but maybe that's because it was really innovative at the time and then everyone else just has kind of ripped it off since. Right. Um I don't know. I I was very rare it was always entertaining, I guess is the word. Um I never just like wanted to not be reading it anymore but i never felt like i was getting a lot out of it there wasn't a lot where i was like actively compelled to go to it it was it was never a chore but um i don't think it was ever really like a joy either um also coming up with you know stuff from post spoilers i was just not a fan of the ending um we can we can get into that later but uh yeah and i don't know yeah i good, not great but but yeah, nothing wrong with it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good place. And I feel like me.
2: that's, that is a place where a lot of people come down on King in general, really. Is that like, King has written books that are considered classics, but I don't know that any of them are are considered great.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, for context there, this was, um, this was in a lot of ways like the first like Stephen King that I'd actually like really read. I, I, I I read this in the first Dark Tower book, like right around the same time in the last like month. I don't remember. I think I might have started Dark Tower and then we decided on this, so I put that on hold to read this. So it's right. kind of like a weird phrase. But I mean beyond that I had read like like the backup story he wrote in American Vampire. And I remember thinking it's like, God, I just wish they had gotten Joe Hill to do this instead. But <laughs> that's for a separate reason. That's because Joe Hill just understands comics better. I was gonna say Stephen he's been King writing is. comics for years. Yeah, no, that totally comes down to Joe Hill's just a better comics writer than Stephen King is. But um so like I just hadn't had like a lot of exposure to him in the past so I think I'm still just figuring out where I fall on him overall we were talking about this a little bit I I, he's clearly a very strong writer and he's got great ideas I don't know that he's for me um I it's the kind of the same deal everything I've read of his thus far has given me that same like I can see how objectively you're very talented and I like a lot of the stuff that you seem to have going on I just don't it's just not hitting
2: the right points. Yeah, I don't
0: get that kind of like positive feedback out of out of interacting with it that I do from other things. So I'm gonna be one of those things where I'm just gonna have to be like, Yeah, I I feel like I get why people like this, but not my thing.
3: This was actually my first Stephen King anything that I've ever read. Yeah,
0: I remember you telling me that.
3: So Yeah, I I have a soft spot
1: for Stephen King. I think because I grew up kind of I mean like my mom read him. And so I'd see his books around the house and stuff and be curious about it because it had these like morbid covers and I was a morbid child. And I, like, being dyslexic, I had some Stephen King books read to me uh, as a kid because I really wanted to. Like, Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which I think is my favorite Stephen King book. Um, and then I love, like, a lot of adaptations. I mean, even like, the cheesy ones that people are like, what is this? Like, I just... I think Stephen King is a very good storyteller. I don't know if, like, the execution of his writing, like, on a sentence level is, like, it's definitely, like, you know, it's good, but i you know, it's not, like, yeah, like, not maybe the best, like, the most fantastic thing I've ever read, but I never got bored listening to The Shining, um, which I can't say about, like, all Stephen King's stuff I've, like, read or listened to. Like, sometimes he could probably use a little bit more heavy editing. Um, he is, like, you know, very prolific. He writes a lot. His books are typically like pretty long yeah with the shining in particular because i had seen the movie a million gazillion times so i had certain expectations i knew that you know i knew going into the stephen king did not like the adaptation um or kubrick's adaptation i'd seen like half an hour of the mini series that i think had like tim roth in it i think it was sci-fi channel or something and i was just like this is not this is not doing it for me so i stopped watching it um but yeah i mean corinne like what with what you were saying it, there, were, I was surprised by how hard to get through certain like sections were and they've kind of come out of nowhere like a lot of the times it, they were so like woven into the plot in general like these kind of like flashbacks or just like recollections of things that happened before or things that are currently happening also that I sometimes felt like I didn't have proper prep time for them like not enough like, emotional build up or like you know enough time to build up emotional resilience uh for those particular bits. And I found that those like you know, all the negative emotions and like those very that very like real life horror, like those elements, got to me a lot more than the more typical um horror scenes or like, you know, scary paranormal stuff going on. Like it was much more the like very real life descriptions of things that yeah. Get, it made it hard for me to because I listen to the, the other thing is like I listen to audiobooks right before I go to sleep and this was really hard for me to listen to right I have had like really bad nights because of this like just not good dreams and like waking up feeling awful
3: I uh I was actually summarizing my listen to of this to a friend of mine because uh we were we were hanging out um the basically the day that I finished it and one of the things I said to her was uh the real the real villain in this book is the permissiveness that society gives to male anger and yeah. that was it was just horrifying it was a horrifying book in that regard yeah i definitely agree that the the real life aspects of this was it was it was rough it was rough reading
1: and i yeah i would say like personally i definitely found moments to be triggering like it's not and Stephen, I think that's like, you know, it goes to show that Stephen King, I mean, I think, I don't wouldn't say that he's like, was inconsiderate in his writing and he was just doing it to like, be shocking and stuff. Like, it felt like it was coming also from a personal place and that like, it wasn't something he just threw in for shock value or like, oh, let's like, see how fucked up we can make these characters. It felt like, you know, something he had really thought about, um, rather than like, oh, this would make an interesting plot. I mean, that was my personal take. I could totally understand if other people didn't see it that way.
0: I I normally don't like to pull a lot of stuff that I know about authors, like real world situations into discussions about their fiction or vice versa. But in this one, one thing that I had known coming into it that I had I had just heard sometime previous was that, and correct me if my understanding or my hearing of this was wrong, I thought I checked it earlier, but... Um, I I could be off but that Stephen King had said that he had written this kind of at a time when he was feeling just some kind of like just general like anger or frustration that he had a hard time really understanding where it was coming from and things where he was just like he would be like just kind of uncharacteristically and sort of unexplainedly frustrated with his family and that he was feeling like really awful about that and that that was where a lot of this came from where he was just trying to deal with the fact that just some days – he would not really understand why he was mad that day. Um, And it was things like that. And that this book was in a lot of ways, uh, a product of kind of what you were talking about, like a very personal time, like something that he'd put a lot of thought into and where it wasn't, uh, again, exactly like what you were saying. Uh, It wasn't just like, Oh, how can I make this like scary or shocking? It was him kind of like working through wherever like that was coming from. Um, Again, as someone who has not seen the movie, my understanding is that's also where some of that frustration with the film adaptation was with that just this was of all of his works. This was one that does have some of those personal ties to just what he was dealing with in the moment and trying to get over, which I could see making it difficult, right? Like if you, I don't know if I wrote something, that was like really personal or semi-autobiographical or something like that. I mean, which is not to say that, you know, Stephen King tried to ax murder anybody, but
3: nobody tried to ax murder anybody.
0: That's true. That's a that's yeah. No, good call. Um, <laughs> visual that I'm aware of from the movie, but yeah. doesn't actually come up in the book. Fun fact: thing I didn't know. Though it's the one thing I knew about The Shining coming into it. It's that the one axe. thing that everyone knows. Yeah, is that there's an axe murder. Well, or like that there's like axe sequences. I don't.
2: There's there's Jack Nicholson walking around with an axe. Hotel yeah, with an axe. Yeah, like
0: I, yeah. Fun thing. Sorry, you know, spoilers for the book for later. No axes, but um, yeah. No, good call. Um, but that. I could see being frustrated with someone just doing a a not very strict to your text adaptation of something that you felt you would put like a lot of yourself at your worst into. Right. But interesting thing. I don't know. I can't really speak to it. I don't, A, know enough about that situation or just like Stephen King, the human, to make any kind of judgments on that. But yeah, I, but for some context to Cleo that I think might kind of go back and, reinforce that just that you were getting that it wasn't being done just to be shocking Um, that I got the impression that there were a certain amount of just like kind of real world rough rough months that went into informing some of these characters
2: yeah I've read the same he he likened it to a confession like he's like I sort of when he was working on this it was the idea that remembering being a young father and by the time he had finished writing it, like, his, his kids were older. But mm. it was remembering being a young father and, like, you know, oh, won't you ever stop, won't you ever go to bed, and just feeling this, like, almost irrational anger toward his children. He's like, you know, now that I've had time to reflect on it, I really think it is this thing that young mothers and young fathers will kind of go through, especially having children for the first time. It's just sort of this, like, irrational, like, it's this it's this new, this, like, crazy new, like draw on your energy and your life that is so unexpected no matter what society really tells you that that a lot of people will go through those emotional sort of like reactions against their own children.
3: I do want to say though um I there there were multiple instances where I had to remind myself that the the book was trying to vilify these these things right like the book is I making had them- to remind myself, okay, this is terrible, but he is supposed to be the villain, like, right. or yeah. this this occur this is supposed to be a not good thing. But I, I don't know. The fact that I had to remind myself of that fact meant that it was, it felt like it was kind of dangerously towing the line of glorifying, what for me, at least, it not not glorifying, but it just it dwelled on it so much. You know, I don't know. It was not good.
1: Maybe not like try was story. trying to justify
3: it a little bit
1: or like. Yeah, I mean, especially it.
3: because there was that whole passage where we are getting into spoiler territory.
2: We're also at the right time to be getting into spoiler territory. So I think we just take it as a sign where it's becoming harder and harder to talk about it without getting specific. So, let's, yeah,
3: I, I don't know. Is there anything else break. we want to talk about before the spoiler break? No. Nah. All right.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I mean, I'm obvious, I would say sort of comments and warnings from from here it sounds like whether or not any given person should interact with this in whatever way be it novel or audiobook or what have you um sounds like that's going to have to be way more your call than ours as anything is because we don't decide what you read um unless you only read stuff that we pick in which case oh shit are we sorry about armada but (laughs) um yeah, if you only read stuff that we recommend, please let us know. That'd be a weird life choice to make.
2: <laughs> but We want to know if you've made that weird life choice.
0: Yeah, uh, but, so, taking a brief break, this is going to be the end of our spoiler-free section. After this, we're going to be jumping into spoilers. We're going to do another plug for this series as a whole, which is Psychological Horror. We are starting with this, Stephen King's The Shining, moving on into Jacob's Ladder in our next episode, followed by The Evil Within. After that, we're going to be coming back around to all of these things in our topic episode, and this is Also, where we are going to be introducing our series after that, which was going to be Sci-Fi Noir? Sci-Fi Noir. Yeah, Sci-Fi Noir.
2: This is psychological horror. This is psychological horror.
3: We're there. We made it.
2: Shit. Yeah, what are we doing for Sci-Fi Noir, Justin? Uh, (laughs) So, for Sci-Fi Noir, we're going to be reading Altered Carbon, which is one of my sort of favorite off-the-wall books that most people haven't heard of. Uh, Watching Blade Runner, uh, like the...
3: We could
1: watch Dark City. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we'll be playing Gemini Rue, which I know by name and nothing else.
3: Yeah, I don't think any of us have played it.
2: None of us know anything about it, and yet we chose it. So <laughs> maybe it's not even a sci-fi drawing game. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get halfway into this. <laughs> this is rough. It make
0: no sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. We're gonna jump into a summary, and then we will be right back. In Stephen King's The Shining, Jack Torrance takes a position as the winter caretaker at the historic Overlook Hotel. Along with his wife Wendy and son Danny, Jack moves into the Overlook shortly after losing his job as a teacher for physically assaulting a student. A recovering alcoholic, Jack has had difficulty controlling his anger in the past, even going so far as to break Danny's arm once when he was very young but hopes that spending the season in the isolated Overlook will give him the time he needs to break his dependence, work on his writing, and improve his relationship with his family. At first, Danny is hesitant to go. Tony, Danny's imaginary friend, has shown him visions of a bloody hallway, a hulking monster, and a dead woman in a bathtub, all painted with the mysterious word, Red Rum. But sensing that it was important to his father, Danny agrees to go along. Upon arriving, the Torrances meet Dick Halloran, the chef of the Overlook. Dick identifies Danny as having The Shining, a sort of psychic power that allows him to sense the thoughts of others. Dick, who also has a shine, tells Danny that he has sensed some strange things in the hotel, but he assures him that these things are like pictures in a book and cannot actually hurt him. Nonetheless, he instructs Danny to call out to him using his shine if anything should happen to the family. Shortly after the Torrance's arrival, the regular season overlook staff leave the hotel and the family is left alone. During the first few weeks at the hotel, things go fairly well for them. Jack works on his play and keeps the Overlook in good condition. Together, he and Wendy teach Danny to read. However, both Jack and Danny begin to experience strange occurrences around the hotel. Jack begins to become obsessed with the Overlook's history. Danny senses a fire hose chasing him down the hallway and feels a strange presence in room 217. Later, after Jack presents him with a supposedly empty wasp's nest, He is stung several times when wasps emerge in the middle of the night. Wendy, though she does not have any strange experiences of her own, senses that something is off and considers taking Danny back home. However, Danny wants to make his father happy and insists that he is fine, despite the frightening visions. Wendy continues to consider leaving until the snow begins, trapping them in the overlook for the winter. Once the family is no longer able to leave, the occurrences get stranger and more sinister. Jack begins to show signs that he has started drinking again, even though there is no alcohol at all in the hotel. He also has strange vivid dreams about his father, an alcoholic and abusive husband. In one of these dreams, he breaks the family's emergency radio. He also finds himself unable to work, getting upset with Wendy and Danny without reason or warning. Meanwhile, Danny decides to explore room 217, remembering Dick's suggestion that the spirits that Danny can sense in the hotel are no more dangerous than pictures in a book. However, upon entering the room, he discovers the ghost of one of the hotel's previous residents. Contrary to Dick's suspicion, the ghost is indeed able to harm Danny, and attempts to strangle him, leaving his neck covered in bruises. Wendy believes that Jack is to blame, but suspects that he may have done it in his sleep. She decides to trust Jack, but only so far as she needs to keep her son safe. As the winter continues, the Overlook's ghosts begin to influence Jack more and more. He begins to slip between the real world and the Overlook's storied past. Danny senses the danger and starts to call out to Dick using his shine. Dick, who spends the winter working at a hotel in Florida, receives Danny's message and sets off back to Colorado. Eventually, the ghosts convince Jack to kill Wendy and bring Danny to them. Wendy, with the help of the recently arrived Dick, tries to defend Danny from Jack, but Jack wounds both of them. However, Wendy is able to stab him during the fight. Jack survives the attack, but the hotel's power over him grows substantially. He proceeds to hunt Danny, shouting after him like in the visions that Tony showed him. As Jack approaches, he stops, having briefly wrested control of his body away from the overlook and urges Danny to run before the hotel regains control and uses a rope mallet to bash Jack's own face in before continuing to follow Danny. As Jack approaches Danny a second time, Danny realizes that with all of the commotion, Jack has neglected one of the winter caretaker's most important duties, releasing the pressure from the boiler. The Overlook runs Jack's body down to the basement, giving Wendy, Danny, and Halloran a chance to escape. As the three run from the hotel, the Overlook explodes behind them, killing Jack, and they escape on a snowmobile. Months later, Dick has a new job as a chef in a resort in Maine, where Wendy and Danny are visiting. All three seem to be doing well, with Halloran helping Danny adjust to life without his father and teaching him more about his powers. All right, thank you. That was a beautiful uh, summary, James. Yeah, thank you, me, for that wonderful summary of <laughs> of uh, Stephen King's The Shining. Um, but yeah, so do we want to just continue the conversation that we were having before right up in through spoilers, or is there anything else that we wanted to sort of get out of the way before we get into no, what I just, assume is going to be kind of
2: the, the meat and potatoes of the episode? Let's just keep skimming because it's going to lead us right to the meat and potatoes, and that's what we're here for. All right. I'm hungry.
3: All right. I'm hungry too. Okay. <laughs> um okay so there's there's explicitly a passage in the book where jack is reflecting on the play that he's writing and he's like you know previously i identified with this character but now i'm identifying with uh
2: the like first the, he identified with the the, the student, student right but and now then...
3: he is identifying with the teacher and he went on to ruminate on how he has found himself identifying with the quote-unquote villain character of a narrative in the past and just like he just thinking about identifying with the 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 villain characters and seeing where this stuff is coming from and things like that that to me felt like you know a big sign saying you know this you know everything's going to be terrible but sympathize maybe with some of this. Like, just in the writing, meta directed at the book.
2: I could see that. I mean, see, the thing is, I think a, a lot of that probably one comes from the fact that Stephen King put a lot of his own darkness into Jack as a character, which creates in the author a desire to also make that character sympathetic. It just makes sense to me.
3: And that's fine. But here's the problem. Jack was a bad person trying to be better. Right. That is an objective fact. And I can get behind trying to see the reasonings behind that and finding redemption and all that and seeking to better yourself despite past mistakes. Um, The problem is Jack's ultimate arc, which just doesn't bring him any of that. And in fact makes a billion times worse. All of the terrible things about himself because of the hotel.
2: Right. Which and I-, I guess that's where I look at it, right? It's he's in the middle of the upswing of this redemption arc. And he, we don't get to see any of that because that's, what's already been happening as the book is starting. Right. He's been sober for however long he had this like anger problem that lingers. Right. And caused him to do something terrible. And despite the fact that he was already in the middle of trying to be better and it put them in the situation that they're in now. And he ends up working at this, and taking the job at this hotel and all this. And it's, he's so clearly a person who, who wants more than anything to be better than the person that he has been. But even in the, in the sort of intrusive thoughts that we see him having, that we understand that he might not even be so capable of that. And then, but, but then for, for it to, you know, this movie to, or this this movie, this book, to take the supernatural bent that it does means that it makes it difficult to differentiate Jack, the potentially sympathetic bad person, for the absolute rabid madman that he is supposed to be made into by the hotel. And the the idea is that Jack is only being made into what he he can be at his worst, right? The hotel isn't make the the hotel isn't making him into something else the hotel is making him into the worst possible version of himself
1: which is really interesting because also isn't that what alcohol is said to do to people like it's not changing who you are it's bringing out like you know for alcoholics at least like your worst qualities that are already there right it's just making it more instead of like creating something new
0: and on top of that i to go off that a little bit this was one of the big things for me where i One of those where I would say good, not great. It's, and also one of those things where I don't know if this is something that like other people have just since ripped off, and that's why it feels cliche. But oh my god, we get it. Ghosts are alcohol, spirits. We we understand. Like it's spirits or spirits. Yeah, it feels so on the nose, and I feel like the best things in this really can illustrate something that is difficult to get at through obscuring it in metaphor or something like that. This just feels so on the nose and there are so many moments where it feels like the book is trying to explain itself to you to make sure that you understand that it's like, yes, he's getting away from like the alcohol cause they were doing this, but now it's a ghost story. But no, the ghosts are the alcohol. It's the same thing. They make you into the worst version of yourself. You do all this. He starts like telling himself stuff. Like it even feels like his speech starts to slur and like they're kind of secretly giving him booze maybe. And like Wendy is describing him as being a lot like himself when he's drinking it. It's one of those where it, I would just not say that that's not like an interesting story to tell or like thing to get at, but that was one of those things where it really felt like it was stumbling for me. Um, and this will tie into why I don't like the ending later is even if you like accept that metaphor and work with it. Um, but that's a conversation for later in the episode, but just to kind of quickly touch on the whole like, oh, and isn't that like what alcohol is supposed to do to you? Um, yeah, and I think that that works, but it's the kind of thing where I that metaphor. Maybe it's just because it's so central, and the book is not interesting or exciting unless you understand that. That it's so
2: on the nose about it. But I, I mean, I think it comes. That comes down to what we were saying earlier about King writing such like perfectly mainstream, palatable prose. Right? Is the idea that he is making absolutely sure that this mass audience that he's trying to reach is going to grapple with the main theme of his book as best as possible and it may end up becoming irritating for somebody who who's looking for something deeper
0: but see that's the thing that's tricky to me is if you're going to do that and if you're going to make the subtext text or at least come so close to that then just write a book that's explicitly about dealing with alcoholism like that's the thing like the metaphor isn't if there's only one way to read the metaphor and that's the way you are intended to read the metaphor then it's a bad metaphor that just means that you didn't just write the book that you wanted to write. or That's the thing for me, and that's where the—just purely from a craft perspective. I totally see where he's getting at. I get the idea of likening it to a haunting, of likening it to these are like spirits that are controlling him and bringing out the worst of him. And he does a great job of illustrating that kind of stuff and bring out—and I guess that's where the merit is, but I've—I don't know. And maybe this is— it's hard to say if this is something that I brought into this or if this is something that's in the book, but I feel like I've heard so many people describe this as like this really like thoughtful metaphor or something. I don't think it's that. Like I think a thoughtful metaphor is the kind of thing that leaves the ambiguity for you to pull something out of it that varies from person to person. Um, This is, this just feels like a thinly veiled thing and like it's thinly veiled and every so often they pull it back to make sure that you saw what was on the other side just in case you didn't get it. That's the part where that perfectly palatable prose becomes not palatable to me. And that's the thing where it's like it that's where I have a hard time dealing with just the the pure writing. But not to pull us too far off from the uh the discussion of what that makes Jack and the degree to which we can we can sympathize with him. But for that that quick aside that was where a lot of my struggles which is like the book itself came from it Was like right. that was that becomes frustrating
3: Real fast was anybody else like skin-crawlingly disgusted by the mouth wiping thing yeah it was gross that it like like was... did he
2: just always did it and he did it so much that he started to chap and like ruin his own lips and that like Ye-
3: i mean yes i mean ultimately it led to that but even just the repetitive action of it the way it, it, like, kept being specifically stated made a normally innocent action to me become yeah. disgusting. Like, every time he said it, I cringed. It was gross. It was really gross. Which I guess, you know, and good think, effect, but...
0: I think that that's one of the big successes of it. And that's what makes it difficult for me, is the fact that King clearly does an amazing job of creating that. That, like, unsettling thing out of something so ordinary. Right. Right. Like that's the big thing, and he made the ghosts creepy, the ghosts scary. Like all of that works, and I completely agree with that. The mouth wiping is a wonderful example of something that, like the first couple times he does it, it's like, oh, it's weird that he's pointing out that he's wiping his mouth, and like, well, you know, okay, whatever, that's that's okay. But then, like, you know, it just happens over and over, and it's just like, yeah, that it's something so mundane can become so unsettling, which I feel like is the strength of the book overall, right? Making, bringing unsettling feelings out of mundane things.
2: Really want to wipe my lips right now.
0: Do it. Do it. not going to do it. We're all going to watch you.
2: I'm still not going to do it. I'll do it. I'll do it
3: right now. I'll wipe my goddamn lips. You wouldn't Jack. dare.
2: <laughs> but circling back to sympathy, right? Yeah. I think it makes it very difficult both for Jack to be a character that you can sympathize. Like, basically, I can understand both sides of it. I can see Jack as a character that people can sympathize with. And I can see Jack as a character that people abhor and believe does not deserve sympathy. Because it's it's the idea that Jack is not doing anything f- up until a certain point, really. Uh, Jack isn't doing anything that is not himself. And so there's the idea that the hotel is making him into this version of himself when he was trying so hard to be something else. Um, and he is more like he he can't it's impossible for him to try hard enough to be that better person in the environment that he is in. Mm-hmm. which is where it's easy to sympathize. But at the same time, he is still... The hotel isn't doing anything that he isn't capable of, which sort of makes it very easy not to sympathize with him at all.
3: I uh, I don't necessarily want to bring this discussion around to this particular point, but I have a feeling that line in the sand of whether there's, you know, some sympathy and understanding or whether it's, you know, abhor, I abhor you and... There's no forgiveness here. I feel like that might be a gendered response, um, because there's, I you know, Cleo, feel free to feel free to chime in here with your thoughts on the matter. But uh, there's the the his his anger is hugely frightening to me. I, I don't know if it's frightening to me in in a way that it would be frightening to you or to James, um, and it's not. It's not necessarily like even it's not necessarily the anger that the hotel eventually brings out in him. It's the anger that he shows as an everyday, like just man.
1: He broke Danny's arm well before he was at the hotel. Yeah,
3: yeah. His his anger is terrifying.
2: Right, and I mean, guys, I guess, like his anger is terrifying to me. I, as some like, literally, my father is a de-escalated version of Jack Torrance. And so maybe the personal experience is what helps that along. Um, And as somebody who doesn't necessarily have a great relationship and like there might be some desire there for me to want to sympathize with Jack almost because of that personal connection. But the thing is, is I don't I don't really if I if I fall to one side or the other, it's more to that Jack is a terrible person who is enabled by this thing. But it doesn't change the fact that Jack is a terrible person. Yeah. And that's pretty much where I come down on it. And I can understand the sympathetic side of it. And I can see that put in there very intentionally. But yeah, and I... That's that's kind of what it comes down to. It's like Jack is clearly demonstrated to have been this person with this terrifying anger and these real problems long before they got to the Overlook, right? That when when he was drunk, he was more than capable of, of being unknowingly physically abusive, To his son and that even when he was not drunk, he was capable of being unknowingly physically abusive to somebody he was not even necessarily closely connected to.
3: And you said earlier, like, we come to this story in the middle of Jack's redemption arc and I honestly, like, do not see it. He's he's a long way away of becoming an like he had the idea that he needed to be a better person.
2: I guess that's what I meant by it, that he was he at that point was actively trying to be a better person. Regardless of what subconscious thoughts we were seeing, like made textual by King in the form of the intrusive thoughts and the and the stuff that the way that it's written. But that we know in the moment at the beginning of the book, Jack's primary goal is to be better for himself and for his family. And it doesn't work at any point.
3: Yeah, I think the real problem is he wasn't anywhere close, even at the beginning of the story, to understanding the ways in which he needed to be a better person yeah he had this very superficial idea of what his problem was but he had so many other problems and one of them was this incredibly inflated sense of pride and like and and a lot of his explosive anger being like tied into when that pride was challenged or questioned or or you know poked at the wrong way
2: right like and, uh, you know the the two main examples right are when uh when he breaks danny's arm it's because danny has just ruined however much of his work mm-hmm. right um and when he when he oh, does anybody remember what he does to george
1: he punches it's him spoken out, about basically. very vaguely
2: until the point where it's described and i just don't remember the description Was i mean they there? give
1: him they give him he like well, he blacks out, like, when he's doing it, but he, like, I think he just basically pummels him with his fist, and then he has a concussion at the end, George does.
3: Well, I think he... I think he
1: ends up hitting his
2: head against the Yeah, the he laptop. definitely slams right.
3: him into the car a bunch.
2: Is it the Yeah, it might be the car.
3: He, I mean, you know, he generically beats the shit out of him, is right. really what
2: happens. And so, I think
0: generically is a good word there.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's ultimately not very well described, because the whole point is that you experience it only from Jack's point of view in terms of memory, and he literally blacks out. And when that happens, it's because it's, it's the, like, a battle of pride. Yeah. Right? It's this incredibly prideful kid who, who Jack thinks doesn't know his place. And he intentionally knocks him down a peg right and there's this whole this whole questioning he always has of like no i didn't i didn't run the timer down no i didn't run the timer down maybe i ran the timer down by a minute what does it matter you stutter it wasn't going to be a problem i ran the timer down to make it easier for everyone right and it's this this whole thing that's going on and it's I, the takeaway is that that's exactly what he did he he made the timer run shorter than 5 minutes in order to put an end to what was going on because he knew the kid wasn't going to be a good debater no matter what and so that is this prideful thing where he's like, I know best and what I know best is what should happen so I'm going to make sure it happens. And then that gets sort of pushed back against by this other prideful person and then it ends up with Jack beating the shit out of him.
1: That makes sense a lot with what I... I took a, um, a class in undergrad, like my senior year of undergrad, about child abuse and neglect and it was... First of all, really fucking rough class. Good class, but, like, really rough. But a lot. what happens a lot with, like, these parents who end up just going off like that and having, like, these really awful, like, rage issues that lead to abuse is that they feel like they're being disrespected. Like, that's the main thing that sets them off. Like, doesn't matter if the kid's, like, really young or, like, if they're a teenager. What kind of, like, sets it off is that they think, okay, this person isn't respecting me and, like, my authority And so I have to, like, show them physically. Like, I have to force them physically to respect me. Which is, like, what you see, you know, with his interaction, Jack's interaction with Danny, and his interaction with George, and his interactions with his wife. It's, like, he feels like he's being disrespected, and that's, like, the thing. Or, like, you know, his time, his, like, writing time or whatever is being intruded upon. His authority as a father or whatever, like, as an important person. Because he also, again, like, he's... He was a teacher, no longer, because he lost his job after the incident. He is, like, a, you know, he's trying to write this stupid fucking play, and it's not going well for him, because he's one of those writers that just, like, mopes around if, like, things aren't going exactly the way he wants, and he hasn't won, like, the awards or been published the way that he wants to be. And he doesn't perceive that as, oh, I'm just, like, a shitty writer, and I, like, don't have self-discipline, and I'm just not, like, the person who I think I am. It's, oh, no, these other people are, like making it impossible for me to produce the work the other people being his family and in the hotel
3: do we even want to do we even want to touch on wendy like (laughs) that's a whole other can of worms wendy is complicated i mean
2: we should yeah
3: jesus i'm already exhausted yeah i know i feel
1: i feel like we haven't
2: we haven't we pretty much just talked about jack yeah. In the know. hotel. And it I I mean it's probably the marquee character in I terms see, of the I to be totally that's like eighty percent of the book. Yeah. But um but there is still like so much. There's so much. Um there's there's just a lot of book to unpack.
3: Yeah. Um
2: But yeah, I I mean that, that's our best segue we're gonna have. Let's talk about Wendy.
3: Wendy's the only female character in the book. Other than the um, bathtub
2: lady other than Yeah, Mrs. Massey doesn't really count.
3: Other than the bathtub Lady and her own mother who's only mentioned.
2: Uh and Jack's, Jack's mom, mother. but, but again, who's, yeah. she's also, she's not even named.
0: Yeah. Um, it I was I wouldn't go so far as to say like counts as a character, but if we are technically doing a listing a women that appear a list of yeah. yeah, women who appear there, in the book. I mean
2: there, there's the, you know, the maids when they move into the hotel, but Yeah, there's a group it's, of
0: nuns on a couch at one point?
2: Yeah. That, well, I, I guess at several points given how often they're referenced, but it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny to me before, before we get, we get too into this. Um, and I don't know that I have, I mean, I don't have the perspective for it and I wasn't looking at it from, from this angle, but it's funny to me that one of the reasons that King is so defensive of the book is that, or of, of about the movie and the film adaptation, one of the things that he hates so much about it is that the character he, in his mind, the character of Wendy is like boiled down to just like a shrill, frightened woman. And that's it. And that it's that's an incredibly misogynistic take on this character that he created. And it, it seemed odd to me because Wendy is given depth, but she's not given much depth to me.
3: So here's the thing. Uh, I have a lot of feelings about Wendy and I'm going to try to parse through them as succinctly as possible. Um, Wendy, in my mind, is the hero of this book. Yes. Uh, absolutely. 100% the hero of this book. And the... We just said, you know, Jack's narrative is 80% of the book and that's 80% of the book read from the perspective of someone who who increasingly thinks of and is made to think of women as spineless, shrill, nagging, disrespectful characters yeah. who, t- you know, chain a man to a corpse as it was put in the book. Yep. But given that we do see things from Wendy's perspective, you know we know all of her reasons all of the reasons that she stays with jack and talks to danny about what danny wants and tries to work through what would be best for for her and for danny and for for everything for everyone involved like she she's not you know sitting there plotting against jack and she's not just this this you know Dim, pale, unthinking creature who is just staying with a clearly abusive man because she can't imagine the thought of leaving him. Right. She can, and, and her does. options are yeah. dismal.
2: Yeah,
3: you know, it's it's kind of a what choice does she have kind of thing. I think there is a surprising amount of depth to Wendy's situation. It's not given a lot of quote unquote screen time but she's one of the strongest characters in the book like she's clearly terrified and out of her depth for a great deal of it but the persistence with which she goes through the final act even is incredible
2: yeah i mean the the i don't think i've ever seen a better demonstration of willpower in a character in a book than her going back up those stairs in the middle of that confrontation with jack the first time
3: yeah so i mean do i do i think that there are problems with the way that she's written or presented. Yes, I absolutely do. I don't think that a man could write from the perspective of a woman in the 70s and not have problems, you know? Like that's just literally impossible. Yeah. Um I would probably call that pretty impossible today.
2: But do you think I mean given that consideration, do you think that Wendy is even like a better a better version of how you would expect a man to write a woman? given the time that it was written given
3: the the time it was written and actually the subject matter of the book itself yeah i actually think wendy's a very well written character um like we all like we all just said unquestioningly yes wendy is the hero of this book yeah. and she's a very believable very you know rational thoughtful person who is justifiably terrified of many things that occur in this book most of them related to her husband and for her son which you know is a completely understandable perspective for a mother trying to protect her child.
1: I mean, Wendy is in such a difficult position.
3: And I think like it's easy
1: for people some people to like kind of look at her position from a surface level and be like, "Okay, well if she were really a strong character like Why wouldn't she, you know, have left Jack and just, like, figured it out on her own with Danny? And, like, if, you know, if it were me, then I would do that. It's, like, it's so easy for people to fucking say that (laughs) without really, like, taking into consideration all of the elements at play. Like, for one, her mother is, like, her option if she left Jack really would be to go to her mom. And her mom is not a good parent and is both emotionally abusive and was, like, neglectful um, when Wendy was growing up. And Danny, and then this is like the most difficult thing, at least in my mind, for Wendy, is that Danny loves his father so much. Like he's is like he doesn't even like the fact that he broke his arm doesn't really I mean, he's so young he doesn't really the whole the like the meaning of that to him has not registered. And I'm really interested to read, you know, Doctor Sleep eventually, which I I think I want to, like immediately after this, to see what, you know, forty something year old Danny you know I don't know whether how much reflecting on the events of The Shining he does but I'm really curious about how adult Danny kind of perceives all this stuff that happened because like how hard must it be I mean for Wendy to have her son her only son like so devoted to her husband who is just like you know a horrible person and has like physically and emotionally injured both you know especially Danny who was what the injury happened when he was like four three 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 yeah it
2: was about two years prior to the the book
1: okay yeah and to have him be the favored parent when he's also like the much shittier parent is just like I don't know if you really reflect on that it's re- it's really awful and the kid you know you can't blame Danny Danny's just a kid but it doesn't make it sting any less
3: yeah it's it's not I think I think it definitely makes it more difficult when the topic of divorce comes around, uh, if the kids are aware that the topic's being floated, which, you know, Danny has supernatural powers, but you don't need supernatural powers to be a child and know that your parents are talking about or thinking about or, you know, whatever to do with divorce. Mm -hmm. So to know that your kids are so against it is just, it's heavy. It's heavy, you know?
2: And I mean, you gotta, like, the context of it happening, right? Like Jack does something so like genuinely a reversal of the things that make him bad. When she had finally gotten to the point of wanting to talk about it, that like, I can, I also can completely understand the fact that the events happening the way they did would have convinced her that they could make it work and that divorce wasn't the right answer and that they could move forward from where they were. Right. And make it, make it easy to see that, like... or to look at things that happened from that point on as being not as bad as they had been before, even if in some cases they were.
0: I think that the fact that we're spending a lot of time discussing um, the human elements of this book and the supernatural elements of the book very separately, I think is kind of the, the big thing that I was trying to get at a little bit earlier where I was talking about, if you wanted to write a book about alcoholism, just write a book about alcoholism. Because I think that the the moments that King has created in this book that are so effective and evocative show that he could have just written a a straight book about alcoholism. I don't think there's any question in my mind that he's a strong enough writer to have been able to do that. And I think that the supernatural stuff that is in the book make very clear to me, even as someone who hasn't read a lot of other Stephen King, and I would, I know plenty of people would argue that his, by and large, his work overall suggests that he totally could have written a very good just supernatural book about a haunted hotel Um, for me the failing is the two of them coming together uh, and the fact that and the going from the one to the other and the fact that it seems like neither of them really works unless you have the context of the other that this is a story just about Jack's alcoholism doesn't really work because ultimately the the sort of tragic crash of that him wanting to be better doesn't come explicitly from alcohol it comes from the metaphor for alcohol and the context that makes the metaphor for alcohol more meaningful than just like, oh, ghosts, is uh, explicitly the fact that they explained to you that the ghosts are the metaphor for the alcohol, um, which is where that kind of trouble comes in for me. And I think like the more I hear us talking about this, the more that clarifies for me that that's the thing that is hard, that each of these halves, I think, could have really worked on its own, except that other half that explains the spirit's... Or that um, gives a conclusion to the alcohol is not given in the same context as the other half that makes it that would have made it work. The place where this becomes the most difficult for me is in the ending, because I said this a little bit before. I I don't understand the world in which this book ends with only Jack dying. Uh, That's the big thing that didn't click for me, and I. Justin, based on some of the things that you've said about Doctor Sleep, it seems like retroactively King has gone back and made Danny's life harder post the events of The Shining. Uh, but with what we actually do get just from the text as it exists and you know as it was presented originally until like thirty years later, um, everything's pretty hunky dory. After the guy, if you let's say let's eliminate the the metaphor and we say it's just a story about the alcoholism, right? somehow Jack's alcoholism manages to destroy only himself and not his entire family with it. And, like, it, it almost makes it seem like with the ending of this, it's this is Jack breaking the cycle somehow, that his alcoholic and abusive father, like, passed that on to him and that, I don't know, somehow these ghosts have made it so he does not pass that on to Danny or doesn't just, like, fuck Danny up for life. Right, and, it's like that Wendy's all okay. And you got Dick Halloran, who's... Like, on one hand, kind of an interesting character. On the other hand, uh, as far as we can tell, the only African-American character in the entire book. That's kind of got a whole thing. That's one of those ones that feels super dated as the kind of, like, wise, all-knowing black guy. Yeah. Who, like, comes in and explains all the mysticism.
3: I Um, was happy that, real fast as an aside, I was really, really happy that Dick Halloran wasn't just, you know, uh, an expositional figure that pops in at the beginning of the book. I was actually very happy that he came back and was objectively heroic.
0: I agree with that, except for the fact that that doesn't make any sense in the story. Nope. But, you know, (laughs) which is the big thing for me, because at that point, he becomes so much of just he goes from being he ends up being two just really unfortunate uh, literary devices. The wise expositional black guy to the bizarre deus ex machina uh, at the very end. Um, Again, though telegraphed in such a way as to literally hold up a sign that is just like hey if anything ever goes wrong which oh no it's totally not gonna wrong except we all know that's exactly just do this thing and i will come and that's how the book ends and at that point i guess the question is like oh does dick make it is everyone okay at the end and that was the big thing where i was going through and that was what was so frustrating to me about the ending is that a it all turns into a dumb action movie uh and b again somehow the the only way that this like ghost story is really standing at this point because of the context or lack thereof is it's a metaphor for jack's alcoholism uh ends up just destroying him and everyone lives happily ever after with like this awesome chef guy which was kind of the thing that was like weird for me the ending felt like extremely unearned like i feel like i could have done with that if the ghost story was just a ghost story right and it wasn't like
2: right, and the, you know, the hotel collapses in on itself because they've solved the mystery of the haunted hotel. Yeah, exactly. And they're able to move on from that.
0: But. Yeah, but it's not that, right? Like it's so explicitly this thing that you never get to wrap up that easily. That's what made it feel so like weird and easy and unearned, and I wasn't really sure what anyone was was going for with that. I've I've been told that the ending of the film is much more pessimistic. I, I can't speak to that. It is. But for that, sure. that optimism of the ending where this at Jack's alcoholism and that terrible person that is deep down inside of him. And you know, that whole thing where you, I think that it's a great, I think that there's been a really good discussion going on about like, to what degree uh, you can blame that on what and how uncomfortable it is to be put in the head of someone who is going through that. Um, And I think that those things are, I would say, I would argue that regardless of intent, the fact that it, the, that the work made everyone here feel, feel as strongly as they did in whatever direction they did is clearly an accomplishment. And that's what makes it so bizarre to me when at the very end, it seems to just get thrown all away.
3: I am going to posit something. The supernatural element of the story, because you seem very puzzled as to why the supernatural and the story of alcoholism should coexist together and to why, why it should end up so nicely at the end. I feel like the supernatural element is uh, almost a, a crutch um, because without it, you have to address the fact that your character, who, uh, as we were talking about, seems to be a reflection of King himself,
0: at least to some degree,
3: yeah, could, through his own shortcomings, become the kind of person who flies into this murderous rage by the end of the book.
2: Like, and it, it's almost like because of how much of himself he's putting, how much of his own he recognizes them as his own darker things right and and he's he seems given the way he's spoken about it in interviews he seems to definitely be inflating these things because it's almost like in a state of reflection the things that he thought then feel even worse to him now right and so he's inflating them in this character to and, give them to give them the way i mean obviously there are a number of other reasons well and it's it, also but, fiction right like right? you it, need to do yeah. that you need to make it compelling but um but, but you still can't if there's so much of yourself in that character to allow him to do that is just the,
3: the supernatural element is there to say, oh look, this character might be a reflection of me in some dark times, but I would never do that. It would take a haunted hotel and angry ghosts to make me actually reach that point of explosive anger.
0: Yeah, I and I think that's the thing that makes it sit strange with me is that it. I think that there is an interesting, if discomforting, story there yeah. uh, to just the human element, and I think that the the work that King puts into the human element. Uh, indicates that he is a strong enough writer to have done that. And I think that the work that he puts into the supernatural, ele- supernatural element indicates that he's a strong enough writer to have just written the entire thing as supernatural and not made it the kind of thing where the two seem to be working together to create this crutch that you're describing. Whereas if he had just taken this whole thing as this is my premise, I'm going to wrap the entire thing in the supernatural metaphor and at no point uh, am I going to explain that to you. That it might have been the kind of thing where we could have had this whole thing and had a very similar conversation and then either come to that ourselves or brought it to a bunch of different places or just created a supernatural story that feels like it stands on its own versus or again a mundane story that feels like it stands on its own mundane's the wrong word a, human, a, a natural human. a human yeah let 's go with that again it, not to harp on that as kind of my my main criticism that the two. I think, ultimately weaken each other by explaining each other. And I think that that's... They do weaken
3: each other. It's a mark of fear. The supernatural element is brought in because of fear? (laughs) Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. But, like, so that's the big thing is I'm... I I really wish I could have read this where uh, the entirety of Jack's issues with alcohol are ghosts. That the entire thing is the supernatural element. And I think that that almost allows for creating that crutch if you don't want to go too far into that acknowledgement that that could have been you in the real world in a real world circumstance but creates a metaphor that is uh that it doesn't feel as much like that i feel like there's a difference between totally wrapping yourself in that cloak versus just kind of like hiding under a blanket
2: i do think a lot of it comes out of the process of writing this book the the book started about a like a psychic child like danny being stuck in a psychic like like a psychologically compromised similar to the overlook kind of thing uh theme park and it was called dark shine and he was working on the book and he ended up scrapping it and then yeah good call it, it had to do with this and then the actual development of the shining had to do with um they he wanted to get out of maine and and write from from somewhere else like get an idea of what it was to write a story that was based somewhere else because he everything he wrote had to do with his home
0: he very yeah he very famous i was surprised at that again this being i'm me being someone who has not read very much stephen king uh yeah i thought that was the whole thing it was just everything set in maine then it's just like oh yep the overlook in colorado is was like Oh, I thought they like changed that, like, because <laughs> again, another thing that I've been familiar with from from the movie, was I thought they it? just moved it to Colorado from Maine. Right? I was, I just assumed everything was in Maine.
3: What is it about the American Northeast that s- inspires the most prolific horror writers from America?
0: I don't know. I think you're raised there. The, and scariest, up... the scariest part of the country. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, yeah. dude. Um, I was in Maine so... recently,
2: and I will verify. It's fucking scary there.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: but the for for me knowing knowing that process, and it's like the idea that. He started this book one way and it sort of created the shape of these characters and then had this this weird experience where he yeah. he goes to a hotel that he he describes being a lot like um, the Overlook. Mm. And he also talks about having just read a story that I think was by Bradbury called The Velt. Oh, yeah. Which I think just came up earlier. That was what you were talking about with the guy with the dreams, right? Because that's exactly how the book is described in the article that I read.
0: Uh. The Veldt is distinct. The story that I was talking about with uh, Cleo is Ursula K. Le Guin's The Way of Heaven. That's right. But yes, so no, this, I, I've this also read... a Bradbury
2: read... story that is also about dreams yes. made real or yes. something. I've also lines. read The Veldt, yes. Um, I have not. But so it he talks about having read that and having been in this hotel. And the hotel is basically empty. They're the only people staying there. Like, the dining room is abandoned. They're playing, like, orchestral music via tapes yeah. because there's normally a band, but there's nothing there. And, the, the like, the bartender that they end up running into, his name's Grady... I, um, and, and that, you know, he goes to bed that night and he has this incredibly vivid dream of his son. Uh, I think Joe at this point, uh, like being chased by a like living fire hose because there's these old fire yeah. hoses. I mean, this, the overlook is based on this place Yeah, and, and he has this crazy vivid dream and he wakes up and he, he describes it as like having woken up and, and sm- like smoking a cigarette and then sitting at his, t- at his typewriter and, like, grinding out the beginning of what this book is going to be. And so it becomes this... It's one of those things of, like, a writer who's unable... Who who gets so deep into, like, this single idea that even though they might be capable of... That you would look at it and be like, pull them apart. But mm-hmm. they become so embroiled in it all that they never see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Basically. And that's why I think a lot of... That's why I think it ended up happening the way it did. And even though... At the time, you know, his publisher didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be pigeonholed as a – he didn't want King to be pigeonholed as a horror writer. And King was like, I don't care. That's great. Mm. Um, but for King to then – for King to get pigeonholed as a horror writer and then to break out later and do actual human stories that have little, if any, supernatural tie to them and to act on those stories really well mm. makes me wonder what we could have gotten, right? If it if the supernatural element of it had been forced out.
0: Yeah. I and I, I I said before I don't really like to try and pull um what I do know about an author's life into my reading of the text or vice versa but it certainly sounds yeah like I can totally see where like those things might have come together I yeah I really just wish that he had gone
2: with one or the other but yeah, and I guess I come at it I I think the human story could have been told on its own and it would have been good I don't think the supernatural story had a leg to stand on which is where you talking about it being a crutch kind of comes in it's like I I don't think that, like, the supernatural elements of the story could have been reused in a completely different story and been interesting, mm. but so much of the supernatural stuff that happens in this is tied to me into, like, into Danny and into the way things are presented, and, like, without the past that they had as a family, mm. that none of, this, none of the stuff about the supernatural elements of it that were interesting to me would have been interesting. So from where I... I don't have very many problems with the ending up to what feels like the epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the story concludes, the the final conversation with, with Jack and Danny and the way that works out. And the even the Jack has become this irredeemable character like long before any of this is going on. And this is part of where I think the king trying to force the sympathetic character of Jack comes in, right, is, like, when he's trying to wrest control of his self from the hotel, right? And it's, like, when it's, at this point, clearly demonstrated that, like, the hotel has somehow, you know, possessed Jack wholly, and he has a moment of, like, clarity where he's able to tell Danny to run before the hotel, like, essentially kills him and takes over his body completely, right? All of that stuff and the way, like, the deus ex machina is annoying, and, and a lot like that could have been done differently, but the, the idea of, of Jack being the one who dies of the hotel going up, um, and, and, and coming down, uh, and like the finality of it all, like all of that, I was very okay with. I think I would have preferred if Dick hadn't been the saving grace and instead Wendy and, and Danny were in that circumstance able to get the one, you know, the snowmobile hadn't been tampered with or whatever, like any number of ways they could have gotten down themselves. But all of that was, was fine for me. The happy ending was abysmal. It's just, there's, that's not the way the people who live through this experience are supposed to be. And what I, what I think King was trying to do was to do this thing that was very common of horror movies in the seventies and eighties, which is like all these horrible things happen and then it's happy. And then at the very last second you realize the happiness is fake And the terrible things are going to keep happening or new terrible things are going to happen. And all of this is just what it is. Right. And that would be great if King had done that second part. But instead, all you get is this really, really happy epilogue where everything looks to be looking up. And like Wendy seems like she's like she's well adjusted and has more or less recovered from the events. This is only like weeks or maybe a month from when it's happened. From what I remember. Yeah, it's not. Maybe two months. Uh, No, it's
3: summertime. It's like six months.
2: Okay. So it's still not far. Well but yes, yes, but yes.
3: they were in the dead of winter and then they're it, they're taking a break a summer vacation to see Dick Halloran. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, we're talking like 5 6 months. Yeah. Um yeah. and and everything is great and it's awesome and Danny is learning how to like deal with having the shine and Wendy is well adjusted and everything is great and the, the family is awesome and and everything is happy and it's just like yeah. that would be fine but they never there aren't any cracks. And that ending can only work if there's cracks. Yeah. And that was what really got to me.
3: I didn't like that. I didn't like that. That moment where the, the hotel tried to start taking over and di- over Dick when he was in the snowmobile shed. Yeah, that was that weird. felt really unnecessary. Yeah,
2: yeah, that that was definitely I, I hadn't even remember that it happened. Yeah, uh, because that's how unnecessary it is. Yeah, yeah. but it's holy. And, the, the, you know, he sways for a minute and reaches for the mat, all that stuff. It's like, yeah, that could yeah. have just not happened. I mean, I or I kind follow of, up
3: on it and put something in at the epilogue.
2: Well, the thing is, I mean, I guess that could have been an interesting way to paint the darkness, although I like that Dick goes on to be a like a meaningful character throughout the second part of the story. But the yeah, it, it comes down to like I understand him wanting to paint the hotel as like flailing out to try and survive somehow or at least carry out this final mission now that it knows that it's dead. Right. Whatever whatever the hotel is, I get that. But it just fell really, really flat. I,
0: I I I thought that whole thing was weird. It and even if that had like come up in the epilogue, I feel like it would have been such like a weird kind of cheap thing. It
2: it seems like the I don't know. That's the like Dick turns and looks at the camera, and you see like you know his eye turn his eyes turn black or something. Like,
0: yeah, like if it was some if it were like a movie, right?
3: CW horror romance television show symbol of evil
2: i'm thinking like yeah. like kids movie like yeah. symbol of like turn to the camera and like freeze frame and dark laughing and his <laughs> yeah. eyes are black right like yeah
0: yeah no i agree i it seemed like the kind of thing where i was like all right well i don't know if this was it, it was the kind of thing where not knowing what dr sleep was about but knowing that there is a sequel to the shining i was like oh, God, is it some dumb, like, oh, the spirit of the hotel is back. is like, we saw it do this, and it lived on, it was like, it. the spirit of the hotel is such a terrible villain. Like, it. and then to, like, give it a personality at the end, like, that, the, this is all part of why I'm just like, this ending doesn't make any sense. Like, it breaks from everything, it just turns into, like, a a dumb action movie. And, I don't know. Like, I would have loved, I, I really liked that Dick came back to be a character. I would have loved if it wasn't quite the deus ex machina level of all of it. It if there was some way to have him his continuing to be a character be a better mix between being important and being like just like out of nowhere saves the day
2: it like I feel like even if even if instead of Dick going down to Florida right he was just in Sidewinder or whatever and he was like working at a restaurant there and something like that and it's like it almost makes more sense like he was he was the guy who was who worked in sidewinder and would like be the one who occasionally try to hail them on the cb or something because he had one himself and he wanted to make sure they were okay or something it's like for him to be able to naturally figure out what's going on and also not be halfway across the country when everything was like i
0: and or even if he is halfway across the country where it's something where it's like like let's say that Wendy successfully kills Jack as opposed to like just leaving his body as a husk that the hotel can totally take mm-hmm. because sure, why not? Um, at that point, so let's say Wendy does that, the rest of the hotel stuff is trying to kill them, they get out, they manage to escape but now they're stuck on the road and then they get found by a search party who came because Dick called and sent the search party. Right, right like Danny's able to get in touch with Dick, Dick is able to get in touch with Sidew- Sidewinder as opposed to the whole kind of vaguely ridiculous like last minute flight to colorado thing they are out looking for people on the roads find wendy and danny on the roads this is even going beyond the fact that honestly i don't if i were writing this maybe it would have been they wouldn't have survived maybe I mean, this would maybe this is even easier on my aspect so i shouldn't criticize but yeah i i the only ending that made any sense to me is everybody dies it's and... it's the sad
3: they get out, they're in the snow. Wendy dies, and then Danny cuts into her stomach and sleeps inside of it overnight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
2: then dies of starvation.
0: Oh, no, and then the search party. No, and comes. then the search
3: party. <laughs> Han Solo shows up. Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: I forgot. Sorry. Then Han comes.
0: Yeah, he wakes up, he's being held up by his feet. And then, Yeah. But but no, Sorry. see, like, it, if we were going to. See, that would have been my thing, right? Where. I I like bringing Dick back in. I like doing all that kind of stuff. I don't know how I would reconcile that with the fact that as I was reading this, like it didn't seem to thematically click that um, not only do do Danny and Wendy get off without uh, seemingly without a scratch, but that they survive at all it seemed weird and out of sync to me. But even then, like I, if if we're gonna say they need to survive, how would you bring Dick in as opposed to the way that it was? I, I would have had Dick be the reason why they make it back to civilization.
2: Without literally being without the
0: literally showing up and like ter like carrying them away on his noble steed. He comes in, he just he can get the message to Sidewinder and say, like, fucking listen to me, go out and look for people. Like there are people stuck on the roads, you know, and can do that. And that's the whole that's how you bring the shine back. Because for a book called The Shining, holy shit, that has very little to do with this story. I um, think there's like moonshine, like it was. Like it was supposed to be like a some kind of like a red herring. We were supposed to think that the shining's the thing that's really important, but in fact, it's a reference to the alcoholism. that's the actual story. I don't know.
3: Two last, I guess, sort of lighthearted, fun questions.
0: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs>
3: and then I guess we'll wrap. Yeah, sounds good. All right. What was everybody's favorite supernatural element? I'm gonna go first. The hedge animals.
0: Yeah, those were creepy. Uh, favorite or creepiest? Either. Uh, yeah,
2: Depends take it on as how you will. fine favorite, I guess.
0: I thought. Uh, like, Grady showing up later at the bar and just, like, Jack, like, talking to the ghost bartender about shit was funny. And then, like, and there's, like, the thing in the kitchen. Like, obviously, like, creepy and unsettling. Right. But, like, just kind of the, the goofiness there. I think creepiest was, like, the little kid in the
2: playground. Or the lack thereof, right? Like, he gets a feeling of something, but he never sees anything, right? did not he
0: see a hand, like, coming out of the thing at the end, like, grabbing at him?
2: I feel like he... I think he, he like, says that he... F- felt a presence like trying to get him but never that he saw anything
0: oh i thought that there was explicitly like a grabbing hand coming out from the
2: you and your creepy hands <laughs> yeah <laughs> the thing is, I is think such he de- a thing with yeah. you yeah that. So I think he describes it that way he's like you know it felt like there was someone reaching for me right there was a hand yeah that was trying like he describes it that way but it is it's supposed to, it's a simple right you know it's yeah. it's a metaphor it's it's not actually there
0: i i just thought that there was explicitly a point where like as he was looking back he thinks that he sees a hand yeah. coming out of like the the snow fort and the concrete rings
3: i do want to say real fast uh i thought the way that the the bar scenes were done was was really cool mm. the way like the first time around when he was just like kind of imagining it and being like oh wouldn't it be nice if i could get a drink the way that all the responses were written in the third person to, mm. to show that separation versus the actual diet lines of dialogue that came around when he was losing his mind mm-hmm. that was really well done and i liked it a lot Anyway, favorite favorite romance, Justin.
2: I I don't know if I can pick the hedge animals are are probably it. Yeah. Like to be honest, I would like to pick something different to be different, but I I don't think I can pick anything besides the hedge animals.
3: All right, Cleo, favorite uh supernatural element. I I remember something that I wanted to say earlier. So you're going
1: to have to bear with me for a second, but okay, but okay, so it's all related. Okay, first of all, okay. ba- up Lady. Um cuz like oh, the lady who strangles Danny right, or yeah. And there's a few reasons for that. Uh, bathrooms are sacred. Nothing horrible should happen in bathrooms, especially, like, bathtubs. Um, Except yes,
2: in every horror movie ever. <laughs>
1: bathtubs are relaxing spaces where you can, like, just, like, lounge and be submerged in water and be fine. And nothing bad should happen. I There are a lot of movies I have and books that I have problems with because of depictions of bathtubs being scary. I love bathtubs. Nothing horrible should happen in a bathtub <laughs> ever. <laughs> Taking a bath is like my favorite thing to do in the world. Also, funny thing that I wanted to remember, I was like laughing earlier. You guys were like, What the fuck are you laughing about? And I was like, I'll bring it up later. Um, the description of the lady, like, and I can't remember, was it when, was it like, was Jack looking at her? But he was like, they were talking about like, Oh, her pubic hair was like floating in the water. And it was, like, this is, like, the sentence about her pubic hair floating in the bathtub water. And then later on, when, like, Jack sees George in the tub, right? This is what happens? Like, he sees George in the tub, and he's, like, oh, his, his like, penis was, like, floating in the water also limply. It was just, like...
2: Yeah. There's a lot of yeah.
1: descriptions of, like, pubic areas in water. Floating Float- genitalia. Yeah, floating genitalia. And I was just, like... Okay, like, enough so that, it, like, the description, the same description basically happened twice, but with, like, two different people. I was like, that's a very, like, specific thing. That that's well-known to be the most
0: buoyant part of the human body. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is interesting. Um, and then, I don't... Yeah, I guess that was it. Just, like, nothing bad should happen in bathtubs. And I don't know, like, I don't know if you guys have seen, like, The Changeling. Or, like, actually, yeah, like, any horror movie ever. People are... Evil.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Yeah, it's all of them. All right. So, what was your second? All right. Question.
3: Second and final question. Would any of you ever stay alone in an empty hotel? Oh
0: Christ, no. (laughs) Alone? Not even a little bit
2: hard.
3: (laughs) No. No, hard pass for me. Okay.
2: Is there? Are we talking about like in this world or like within any other parallel universe? Real goddamn life. No, never. Absolutely not.
1: I was talking about this with my mom. <laughs> As one does, and I would like if a, a completely alone, like just me, and no, but like with a small group of people,
3: yes, still no.
1: I, if I was going not. to
2: stay in an empty hotel with a group of people, it would need to be a group of people large enough to fill at least half of the hotel. To fill, side yeah, of the hotel. yeah.
1: Oh my god, holy shit! I just remembered a horrible dream I had that's related to like the bath that reminded me of the bathtub lady. It was in New York. I like I get like. I don't know if any of you ever experienced like sleep paralysis ever or anything like that or like nightmares, yes, but I get like worst. yeah, I, I get sleep paralysis occasionally and horrible, I'm scared horrible of nightmares. Me too. Yeah, and um, good. one dream I had like it was kind of complicated. Like there was a bunch of stuff going on, but it ended with me like in that kind of half aw- like trying to wake up state, and I was like lying on my side in bed and it was morning. And I was like trying to move a little bit, but I couldn't. And it's just like it was like one of those weird like situations where you're transitioning into being awake. And I felt someone behind me lying in bed behind me, and I knew it was an old woman. And she put her hand over my eyes, and I could feel like that it was like this wrinkly old hand. And it was really cold, and she was covering my eyes from like lying behind me. And I could feel that there was a wedding ring on her, on her ring finger, and she was covering my eyes. Like and her face was like right behind my head, and I like finally managed to shrug it off and like wake up. But oh my god, did that ruin my day? That's Do you horrifying. know Do you know what the
0: worst part of that story is? I've had the first half of that dream beat for
1: beats. Oh my god. Like an old woman yeah. like with cold hands.
0: It, except not the hand. I woke up I threw myself I rolled I rolled myself off. out of bed before that happened. It, but it's no, it's the same. I know exact I I get sleep paralysis and have those like scary dreams also. But no, it was the exact same thing except I just was able to throw myself out of the bed onto the floor. And of course my throw, I mean you know what I mean. <laughs> It's like you kind of like you slowly physically have a hard time rolling out and then like hit myself on the bed on the way down. But yeah, yeah, no, it beat for beat. The first half of that dream didn't get to the hand part
1: because it was really scary. scary. She put her fucking hand over my eyes and I was like, I hate this. Get off, lady. I don't care if you're married with a fancy wedding ring. Get off.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, God. Well, so on that note.
0: (laughs) At some point, we've got to like. Compare these sleep paralysis dreams. Oh, Maybe I have a bunch. Maybe
2: don't. Maybe <laughs> don't. Go ahead and do it. Not with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. We'll go home. Both of us have, have never had it, which oh, means we're worst. probably less terrified of it than you guys are, but also we're incredibly terrified of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is It's the really worst. bad.
1: Oh, God. Now I'm scared again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Great. Good.
2: Cool. We're all scared now.
0: All right. So... With that, that was, our, that was our episode on The Shining. Come back next time. We're going to be discussing Jacob's Ladder. After that, it's going to be Evil Within. Then we're going to be coming back, I'm sure, The Shining, potentially with the movie, uh, at least to a greater extent than this. Probably not a huge amount because we're going to have plenty to talk about, I imagine. Yeah. Um, but we'll probably be touching on that a little bit more if you're interested in book and movie differences and our topic episode at the end of all of this. And then after that, again, going to be going into sci-fi noir with Altered Carbon and Blade Runner and the game was called Gemini Roo Gemini Roo had half of it um first Gemini which I can say and none of you will ever know that I didn't um (laughs) until then thank you so much for listening thanks for listening to this episode of Read Watch Play if you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com and look for our game streams on twitch.tv slash Podcast.